Welcome to I Just Don't Know, a podcast where we learn something new, challenge opinions, and hope to make the misinformed informed. I can openly say I've spoken when I did not need to, been unnecessarily controversial, and shared my misinformed opinion, thinking it was not. In this podcast, I'll try to right some wrongs and take on a new topic each episode that I think I knew, but in fact, I just don't know. This episode is all about temptation, desire for that instant gratitude, and managing to say no to the offer of your favourite treat like crisps, cookies, sweets or chocolate. I'm talking about self-control. And my first assumption that I'm going to outline here is that when you think about self-control and trying not, not to have that biscuit from the biscuit tin and or not have that or have those treats in the evening I'll be honest I I in the past and often I do fall into a routine of, of falling for that trap and well I call it a trap in the evening you just can't help but have that extra bit of chocolate or have that little bit something sweet in the evening and feed that desire of that's just asking for that instant gratification that uh, just makes you sort of that, that little bit of happiness for that moment and I and I completely understand why it is so hard so I I wanted to look at in a bit more detail why we just sort of look at it at such on a very much a surface level and we don't help ourselves by breaking it down into a bit more detailed way of looking at, uh, at how we control what we do and the classic sayings are sort of I'm a strong person and I can have strong willpower and I can con- and people say come on control yourself don't have it or the temptation of someone going go on have a have a biscuit and having the strength of of, of saying no in the desire of having gratification later on does everyone do that does everyone manage self-control by delaying their gratification to a later time and that's uh, that's going to be the first sort of assumption or, or generalization that I'm going to look at and uh, so let's so let's see how that goes So first off, looking at a, an article I found from Lifehack, uh, they define sort of controlling your emotions and desires is in difficult situations is the sort of the definition of good self-control. And studies say that sort of exhaustion and is a key factor to why self-control is is reduced in someone. So they focus on the the taxes of of your patient on your patients throughout the day how different stresses slowly but surely erode your your ability to to fight uh, the that sort of little voice in your head and uh, that's why later on when you get back from work binge binge eating and eating the food that you don't you, you said no to earlier in the day it's just too difficult to to say no uh, the signs of your self-control diminishing is that is you become a little bit more agitated or irritable or there's a lack of patience so they're they're again not the easiest things to notice in someone but self-control is not you could say then is not it changes throughout the day but some people believe that they have that discipline or self-control constantly but in reality your body is slowly but surely wearing away so therefore temptation or the desire to do something that you feel like you to for that instant gratification is more likely to happen as the day goes on or as you become more tired or uh, more stressed and getting you and you will give in to the impulse of emotions and and we're going to look at a little bit later what is the difference between giving in to temptation 
and giving in to the impulse of your emotions because I think they're two different things and I've read a few things that we're going to, as I said, going to look at later. They are very different, being tempted and giving in to your impulses. But uh, the, this life hack article gave some, some nice tips to try and look at how you improve your, uh, your how to be more, sort of your self-control. And the first one is you've got to practice it. You've got to put yourself in a position where you have to show self-control. And if, you, if I think about all the many little sort of snacking policies that I put in, like not having any biscuits in the, in the flat, or one big one for me is I cannot have Nutella in the flat because I'll eat the whole jar without a doubt, or slowly but surely eat it throughout the day, or have the cereal. I just love cereal. I, I just would have bowls after bowls, and I have my portion control is terrible, and I keep being told that when it comes to cereal. So if I only have one small box of it, I will ration it better. So practice is really important. The second one is distraction. When you do feel like you want to do something to gain that instant gratification, or you're get that impulse to do something or you're tempted by something, try to distract yourself with something else. That is a way. How that is done, they don't, it, it, that's easier said than done, I would say. But it does sort of work. Maybe you're hungry, maybe go for a sort of you know, for a snack, maybe doing a bit of exercise and then, and then having the food after that. So you've managed to do something, you delayed it and you're rewarding yourself. And if you think you heard of my podcast before this, the episode before this, rewarding yourself after exercise is really important as well. So they're sort of linked there. Um, the third one is to care for yourself. Your impulses and your ability to be self-control is dependent, as I said earlier, on your sort of patience and your stress levels and your tire and how tired you are. So if you look after yourself and you stay, you sleep well, and you make sure you are sort of well nourished and you've you've had everything, the food you required for that day. The chances of you giving in to those temptations or giving in to any impulses that you wish you didn't is are less likely. So that's the third one. Then the last one is your environment. Managing your environment around you. If you've got lots of temptations, as as I said, about having what you have in the flat and have in your house means you might go and have those things. Remove them if if you don't really know you don't need having all those chocolate bars in your flat in your in your sort of fridge or, or cupboard. But if you think about work. Try not to go to the kitchen when you hear there's loads of free food. I struggle to do that one. I can't help myself. Who who doesn't love free food? But it depends what it is. My policy is if it's not decent and it's and it hasn't been sitting out for a long time, then that's okay. Um, oh, sorry, I got that wrong. It has to be decent and it mustn't be sit, sitting out for a long time. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it's just it's just not worth it. So that's just some basic stuff from Lifehack, a very, very generalized article. But what I wanted to touch on is uh, to continue to think about how do you control your willpower and what does it actually mean to have good self-control or show that. I saw a, a great uh, TED talk by Jonathan Bicker that was really interesting how he broke down different approaches to self-control using the example of sort of smoking or, or eating disorders uh, the there's two approaches of the 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 first approach of just avoidance the avoidance approach just don't do it at all that approach uh, was the more traditional way of looking things so going teetotal or not eating a certain type of food not smoking and and counting how many days you've done that's has been proven successful but what he wanted to suggest was a different sort of 
approach called the willingness approach, almost acceptance approach. And how that is presented by him is that you need to condition yourself to focus on when you have that impulse to do something or when you are tempted by something and then that results in an impulse to the to have that instant gratification then you need to say okay i'm having a thought that i would like that biscuit or i would like a biscuit but then he also says okay once you've done that you need to say when every time you have a thought saying i am having the thought that i really want a biscuit say to yourself i acknowledge that i've just had a thought that i've really want a biscuit and by stepping away from the actual desire the actual impulse two steps almost acknowledging that you're having that impulse then acknowledging that you've acknowledged that you've had that impulse accepting that you've had that impulse of wanting a biscuit it creates that space between you and what you really want to do and by noticing that and giving that room you can then think about making decisions and decisions is control and decisions is behavior so that is a really fascinating way of approaching it and i think it's easier said than done but i think in the last for myself the last five six years i've definitely noticed when i'm doing things and i've acknowledged it but it, i think before that when i was a teenager i would say i would acknowledge that i did something but I've noticed I would do something, but I wouldn't acknowledge that I've noticed that I'm doing something. Almost making a note that, oh, I've done that silly thing again. Before I'd go, oh, that was silly. But I wouldn't say I've noticed that I've done something silly again. And I think that's the next level, that layer that this that uh, Jonathan Bicker has added to try and help someone. And he proved it with some statistics that people who are taking the willingness approach were two times more likely as feeling like they had a better uh, that that they were that they were going to achieve the the goal that they were going to achieve and they it also he also had some proving uh, experiments with people that they were much likely to 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 achieve the goals of not smoking i think that that was the example they're using yeah, it was smoking that by doing this approach uh, they that acceptance took it to the next level and this is where it got a bit interesting and I'll just touch on this lightly was that by creating that space between having that impulse and the self-control being in question acknowledging that you've had that thought that you wanted something you then were able to break down why you were having that thought and and there was one example of you did something such as like having wanting a drink but why do you want to drink well you want to drink because you feel bad that you want to drink in the first place and it's like a full circle and how he breaks it down into like a tug of war with that monster inside you or that that temptation monster inside you that's saying come on have a drink come on have have this or come on ha- eat that biscuit eat that biscuit let's keep this lighthearted lighthearted let's talk about biscuits only um he says don't try and pull against that that sort of that monster inside you or that person in that voice inside you because eventually throughout the day you will lose because you'll get tired what he suggests though is to go okay rather than playing tug of war with this 
with this uh, voice inside your head, just let go of the rope and don't play. Don't participate and say, okay, yes, I, I am having that desire to have a biscuit and that's fine and that's okay. And eventually that voice in your your head will say, okay, cool. Okay, let's not play, but I, you still really want a biscuit. And eventually that voice should get quieter and quieter and quieter and eventually it might even go away. And I really liked how Jonathan Bicker put that and and it's uh, it's really interesting to put the approach of self-control in just a very normal way how how he approached that. So yeah, um really, really great stuff and um, maybe maybe you guys should try that out. I'm definitely gonna try it more. I've definitely tried it a little bit um since I since I first uh, sort of researched it and looked at it. Um, whether it, how successful it is, very difficult to measure, but we we will see. So my second assumption, or the generalizations that I've often heard about or, or spoken about with when it comes to self control, is more about. I'm gonna well, what I'm gonna look here is about the. How does how does it if how is it different between one person and another? I know some people who are very disciplined and they, they stick to the regime and they stick to what they have to. I know people who are very strict for a portion of the day or for five days, but then they just fall to pieces the next days and they do everything they give into all their temptations. It it varies person to person. And so what that suggests in my eyes is that self control fluctuates, it varies person to person but it can change people can turn a new leaf and and turn a new page whatever the saying is and and improve their self-control their discipline and i think the big one here is like exercising more getting more sort of eating a bit healthier so you're getting the better nutrients in your body better vitamins and you're you're looking after yourself better in that way you will be able to exercise self-control better and you'll be able to aim for better goals or stronger more more ambitious goals in the long term as you give into instant gratification less and less and i think the one that i would love to talk about on another episode is the instant gratification of social media and how when people give up social media or they minimize their time using it they're able to achieve more and they can see clear gains in their life when they don't give into this temptation that is on everyone's phone and is one of the worst temptations out there i think so that's my assumption here what is self-control measurable and can it be can it change with some person because i so what i've done i'm going to look into this in a bit more detail and see of the history about history of it and how academics have looked at it in the past on a very general view just to share it with you guys and see how that works out so let's see Let's go. So I want to kick this off with two people who are very famous in the world of social control and self-control theories. And that is Travis Hershey and Michael Gottfriedson. So... I said again, Travis Hershey and Michael Godfredson. It seems they are the the original academics, authors, psychologists in 
the 60s, 70s and 80s that really pioneered the the discourse and discussion about theory of self-control and really got people thinking about a very, this very open-ended and controversial uh, controversial topic that does influence our day-to-day and how we look at each other and how we manage countries and how we manage teams and uh, companies. And what their general, their first theory that they laid out in the 60s is the social control theory. And uh, looking and sort of leading the way as sociologists in this space, it fundamentally said that low levels of control and the social aspects of around around you were directly related to deviant behavior and doing doing the doing wrong and doing the uh, doing some doing something bad towards someone or or breaking rules or breaking the law so fundamentally this is the the basis here that social bonds with your family your school your workers are key to making sure people don't give in to deviant behavior behavior as they describe it and managing your self-control so according to hershey these bonds are based on attachment that's the first one so i'm just sort of paraphrasing here attachment mainly parental attachment uh, but as well also to the sort of social bonds with friends uh, but also the commitment of your activities whether that's with how much time and energy you put into what you're doing that could be your education your career the third one is your involvement in activities so what are you actually doing in your day-to-day and in your life this is a key influencer to this situation um, and then your last one is the belief in the social values so there's the four axes your attachments your commitment your involvement of what you're doing your belief in the wider social values so that could be obviously religion impacts that nationalism what you think about the world as well so that's a very open-ended and this is from uh, Siegel and McCormick who in 2006 they've seems they've criticized and, and analyzed uh, Hershey and and Godfredson's um, sort of theories here. So that's the social control theory, very much about your the out, what your environment. If we go back to what I said earlier in the episode, your environment is a key factor to managing your self control. But they so they don't stop there. They actually move on to a slightly different theory, and they develop it a bit more uh, in the sort of eighties and nineties. So that is the self-control theory also known as the general theory of crime which is their book uh, that they, that they that they published so what they try and do in this general theory of crime or self-control theory is that they actually say that the social bonds that they outlined in the social control theory is that all these environmental factors are just an insulating factor they prevent someone from giving in due to low self-control they're not actually a contributing factor to the act itself and what they say in the general theory of crime is that low self-control is a key factor in underlying criminality and or giving in and doing something you shouldn't be doing and i know i've escalated this a little bit to criminality but that's this is just how they've outlined self-control 
I know I started with giving in and having a, a biscuit, but this we're moving this up to a to a high heat. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. And so what they more controversially outline is that self control in someone or in their their personality, or if they have a lack of self control, then this stays constant and stays stable throughout their across their life. And what they're saying in a theoretical perspective, is that people don't change. It is opportunity that changes. And this is, well, I'm not sure how, when I read this, I wasn't really sure how I felt about it because I think people can change and they can control their self-control habits. And that it's not it's not fair to say that someone is not able to do that. But could you then, but then maybe that you could be sort of more lenient there and say that the opportunity, the people do change, but their opportunities have to change as well. And it, their environment and their opportunities are the contributing factor to their improved self-control. So that's a slightly different view that, uh, that from from my my perspective there, if we're thinking theoretically. Uh, but the what they're saying though there is that someone's self-control in their when in their upbringing, if they're not pro- if they're not given that training as a young as a young person that not giving in to the the desire for instant gratification or not giving in to those impulses of heightened emotion then you they haven't been trained to learn that and fundamentally if parents haven't don't look have that same self-control they're never going to be able to teach their kids and i i did read an article on positivepsychology.com uh the the author was kelly miller over in the u.s she's a uh, very wholesome author, um, very popular, leading the way uh, with, with helping humans to, to look at sort of positive psychology in positive ways. She was reading through her article. It was a bit like it's, it's she's standing from a talking from a very strong position and making life look a lot e- very easy. In reality, has she been exposed to those temptations and difficult situations? Because fundamentally, she says that there's alarming levels of obesity and addiction and violence in the world. And this tells us that the intentional improvement in self-control practices is needed and that people need to realise that if they don't learn self-regulation and self-control, then it will just be a constant uh, challenge for, 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 the, for society and the world as they bring up children with that don't get those fundamental less, lessons when they're children about how to manage uh, their self-control so it's very a bit a bit sort of negative view but but then more optimistically i was reading about the sort of the criticism of uh, of um, hershey and um, godfrey cern and the general view that self-control stays constant and people cannot change and that social factors are actually a secondary factor well some people have said for example uh univa et al as well as um acres and sellers suggest that the theory of crime that they outline saying that um that crime and low self-control are one of the same that doesn't that's very difficult to actually uh, to actually measure what self-control is empirically 
and Seagull and McCormick in 2006 also claim the same thing, that how do you actually measure low self-control? We can't measure low self-control. You can't put it as a reason for people committing crime and and you and, and giving in. It, low self-control is not the fundamental factor here. There is so many other things to, to think about um, and someone's situation, the environment. And I think take, you're taking the power out of people's control, saying that they are fundamentally the product of their upbringing and they're not the product necessarily of their environment that they have some control over, which is where they are, what they're doing. And going back to the article by um, Kelly Kelly Muller, uh, I believe she she doesn't really consider that some people's environments are not in their control as well and that temptations that you might have are so difficult to to resist that just because you re- give in you're then branded that you have low low self-control and your parents weren't able to bring you up properly but in reality some environments are so harsh so difficult it requires a bigger force to to help them get out of that and i don't i can't i don't want to put any sort of actual details into that but i think the it, you cannot generalize just the environment or the upbringing well let, let me rephrase it you can't just say that some if someone gives into something and or shows on in terms of lack of self-control or they give in to things like instant gratification they are fundamentally poorly brought up and they are badly brought up in the sense of self-regulation self-control and they have low self-control therefore according to the theory of crime they're more likely to, to to commit crime another sort of critique is that how do you prove where people have shown that they have delayed gratification such as sort of high level big financial crimes how do you how does how does it suggest that because people have shown that they have great self-control but they still commit crimes and that is from Lily et al in 1995 she sort of pioneers that point of view and I think that's a really point a good point of view because that the way I look at that is people who have poor self-control they can mask it by their environment they can mask it by their by some of their behaviors or, or their support but i think some people um are, have show self great self-control over the period of their lives going through school going through university getting qualifications but eventually they get tired they give in to the easy desires and as they get older they just let it all go and they commit some horrendous crimes because of their positions their power or they do things that shouldn't be done relationships break down and that's going back to our my original point of people not looking after themselves getting tired later on in the day but this time later on in life and there's your self-control changes so i challenge what these original sociologists have suggested with the theory of crime and the self-control theory that self-control is constant and stable throughout life i think it definitely changes people can manage it people can practice it and get better at self-control they can learn different ways of distracting themselves they can learn different ways of being more in control of situations when they're let's say their emotions so i read one area where it was all about hot and cold so your body's either hot with emotion and making decisions and the prefrontal cortex of the brain is not engaged at all 
and then you have the cool system where you can make rational decisions and your prefrontal uh, part of the brain is, is active and that's where you make those rational decisions. But there is theory and potential evidence that if your stress levels are managed and you know how to get yourself in a position where you can limit your stress levels just by a bit. So when you are in those situations of extreme emotion and you're hot, as that as that person says in the article, you can still engage some part of your brain that does make rational decisions and thinks about long-term goals rather than short-term goals, such as instant gratification. And you can make a different decision and exercise that self-control that we all aspire to have more consistently, more constantly. So yeah, so that's a couple of things to think about. A bit more theoretical at the end there. It's reminding me of some of the the times of uh, when I was at university, and I really got stuck into this and uh, and and enjoyed sort of reading about this a bit more because the the, the implications are are, pr- are pretty uh, are, are pretty important. So to wrap up the the this podcast episode. Um, so going back to my first assumption of the generalization of having great willpower and being able to control yourself and, and, and not give in to having that biscuit, there are some nice ways of, of looking at it, uh, of practicing and distracting yourself and looking after yourself and managing your environment where you can well try to avoid getting into situations where you can get agitated and stress levels go up and and your lack of, uh, and you show a lack of patience, and you give into those those emotions, or you give into those temptations of of having that favorite treat of yours, or chocolate or crisps. You can practice it, and you can get into it. And as and uh, Jonathan Bicker trying to acknowledge that you're having the thought of that impulse, or or giving into that temptation, and then once you've acknowledged that you've had the thought, acknowledging that you've acknowledged that you've had the thought, to then distance yourself from the impulse or the desire itself and therefore giving you room to think about it and actually make a decision rationally so some really nice ways of actually looking at day-to-day self-control situations and just having great willpower is is there's so much more to that and that's really interesting and then the second one about self-control can it be changed can it improve what are some of the theories behind self-control in terms of the academic world? Well, that's been a deep, uh, a deep dive in a very, very small little hole because there's so much more out there that you could read about. But we've touched on some sort of old pioneers of of, of this this theory with Hershey uh, Godfredson, and you've got Siegel and McCormick, who who I, I quite like their analysis of the whole thing, and you've got uh, and some other, and some others that have criticised the situation. But what my sort of view there of, of the theory of crime and the self-control theory. Self-control can change in someone and is not fundamental to each person. It's not this consistent based on their upbringing and it doesn't necessarily just lead to crime. There's so many other factors to consider and I think that's a more optimistic way of looking at things. People can change and adapt to their self-control and also a lot of people who show great self-control when they're younger and in their middle ages but actually when they get older... They get tired and they don't look after themselves. And in the end, they make some terrible decisions and do some terrible things. So there's clear evidence that self-control fluctuates in my point of view. And it's been a really fascinating way of uh, of, of breaking down 
what actually self-control is and leaving it on a optimistic note i think and we should think that our self-control and ability to control our decisions can improve it can be managed and fundamentally we can become a better society and world through just that general progression of better self-control when needed but also having that biscuit when you deserve it and when you just go what the heck let's just have let's just give and have some chocolate and enjoy and enjoy ourselves and enjoy life so yeah thanks so much for a slightly different podcast again i'm enjoying the different ways of approaching this and uh, i'm excited to, to to record another one thanks so much guys.